Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, our family has a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and so um, we actually have some traditions uh, that we do together as a family. And one of the traditions we have is that we uh, go ahead and we uh, put the tree up together. And my wife is really into that, and so we did it actually before Thanksgiving. And so uh, in our house, we've been excited about that. Um, also, uh, on uh, Christmas morning, uh, one of the traditions we have is we get up, and once we get up, we uh, go and we sit down and we read Luke chapter 2, uh, the Christmas story, and we have a birthday party for Jesus. And so my wife makes a birthday cake, and we put candles, and then the kids blow out the candles, and then we light the candles again, and then they blow them out again, and then we light them again, and they keep blowing them out. Uh, sometimes there's multiple lights that happen before that happens. Now, one of the things that we do that is a little bit less spiritual is we watch Christmas movies. How many of you love Christmas movies? Raise your hand. Yeah, we all love Christmas movies. Me too. Um, if you would, why don't you just turn to the person beside you this morning and uh, share with them what is your favorite Christmas movie, okay? Uh, turn to the person beside you. What is your favorite Christmas movie? All right, all right, we don't need the whole plot, folks, just the title, okay? Uh, some of you are explaining the whole thing. Now, um, I uh, kind of did an unscientific study this week with some family and friends and some of you to try to find out what the top ten Christmas movies of all time uh, are. So let me just share these with you. Number ten, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. How many of you? Okay, good, good, good. About five people. Good job. Uh, number nine, Christmas with the Cranks. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. Okay. Uh, number eight, the Santa Claus. Okay, a few there. Uh, number seven, a Christmas story. There you go. That one rated pretty well. Number six, a Miracle on 34th Street. Okay. Uh, number five there, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. A few of them? Okay. I mean, nothing says Christmas more than a weird green man, right? I mean, that's it. Uh, number four, uh, Home Alone. Uh, number three, Elf. There we go. Uh, number two, of course. It's a Wonderful Life. There you go. And the number one undisputed Christmas movie in the history of, of the world is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. There you go. It's a classic. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking also at a Christmas uh, story in the Bible and a particular text that is one of the most famous in Scripture. 
And it's in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You see, we look at a a scripture verse like that because we want to remember what the true meaning of Christmas is. You see, Christmas is God's annual reminder to you and me that the world is not all that it should be, but that God has come to try to repair it, to redeem it, to make it new. And He began that whole process Over 2,000 years ago, when He sent His one and only Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to make things right. Now, I was reading this week, and some estimates uh, share with us that in 2011, in North America, each one of us experienced 5,000 ads every single day. Now, these are not just on billboards or on the television or on the web. These are now, you know, at gas stations. Have you noticed that? You go to the gas station and someone talks to you and they start advertising uh, something. Or you go to the grocery store and they're advertising. Or in bathroom stalls. I mean, you're trying to be private, you know, in that moment. And here's advertising right in your face. And we are just surrounded by it. Now, I wonder at Christmas time, if it's 5,000 a day, just think how many ads you must experience in a day as you walk through your time. I mean, we are just bombarded with messages. And these ads are projecting ideas to us, and they're kind of trying to twist our arms in subtle and yet also in very obvious ways. And during Christmas time, it's predominantly reducing the Christmas story. It reduces the Christmas story. In fact, our culture is doing its best to try to make Christmas smaller. Our, our culture is trying to make, that's your first fill in there, is trying to make Christmas smaller. Now, if you remove the spiritual meaning of Christmas, we lose the power of what God actually did. If we're not mindful of the cultural subtleties of all these messages that we're surrounded by, we can dilute the message of Jesus and His birth. So let me just share with you what I think are three ways in which, as a culture, we've kind of reduced the significance of Christmas, or three ways that Christmas, the message, has been reduced. The first is this, is that it just is too secular. The message is just too secular. Now, let's say, for example, that we remove the spiritual concept that is connected to Christmas. At the end of the day, what do you have? You know what you have? A whole bunch of songs about cold weather. That's what you have. I mean, there are three billion people in the world, folks, who have never seen snow in their entire life. And so 
songs about cold weather mean absolutely nothing to them, especially of snow. When there's no spiritual meaning in Christmas, we're left with songs of a talking snowman and a magical flying reindeer and an overweight man with a beard wearing a red suit who likes to go down chimneys. And that's what we're left with. Have you ever thought about it, that if you take away the spiritual meaning, you're left with a very empty story? It's a frivolous story, and our culture continues to try to press into that. The Christmas story is something that is powerful and historic and important, and trading it for something our culture finds very shallow and insignificant. We celebrate the Savior of the world. God's one and only Son coming down from heaven to earth. But sometimes we reduce it to talking snowmen and flying reindeer and overweight men wearing red suits who like to go down chimneys. And some of the messages of Christmas are just too small. They're just too secular. A second way that we reduce the Christmas message is we make the message too sentimental. We just make it too sentimental. One of the things that I've noticed this week as I've talked to people is that everyone will say, so when you think about Christmas, what comes to mind? Well, it's all about the kids. You know, it's just all about the kids. And it's about our family. It's about kids coming home from college and doing nothing for three weeks or longer but laying around, okay? The grandparents come over. You get all the loved ones together. You eat a whole bunch of food. You talk about your year. You take time off of work. You watch Christmas movies. And if you think about it, every single Christmas movie has a very similar plot. Largely, it's the same story just over and over and over again. Someone is trapped somewhere, and they can't get home. And so the family wonders, will they make it? They've got to be with their family. All the tension, all the focus is the person getting home for Christmas. And Christmas, if we're not careful, can just be a sentimental message about being with your family. Now, I'm not saying that hanging out with your family is a bad thing. It's a great thing. My family uh, will share our Christmas today, and so that's really cool. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy Frosty and Rudolph and all that. All that's fun stuff. But both of those messages of the secular and the sentimental are just too small. And they're not the real meaning of Christmas. And if we're not careful, we can get to the end of the year and Christmas just kind of becomes this blur. A third way that we kind of reduce the Christmas message is that the message is just too selfish. The message is just too selfish. Now, when you take your kids to Santa Claus and they sit on his lap, there are two questions that he always asks them. The first one is what? Have you been good? Right? And then based upon that, then he asks you what? What do you want for Christmas? Right? 
And I think the reality is, though, is that people never leave that stage. They go on into adulthood and they continue to have those two questions kind of gear their life. They're walking around the mall or they're walking around Walmart and they're asking themselves, have I been good? I've been really good. You know what? I deserve something. I think I'm going to buy this and this and this and this. And pretty soon they have a whole big thing that they're taking with them. What do I want this year? We're just kind of programmed with these kind of questions around Christmas. This year at Christmas time, from Thanksgiving to uh, Christmas, Americans in North America spend $450 billion on Christmas-related stuff. 2.6 billion square feet of wrapping paper will be used for Christmas presents. That's 8,000 tons, folks, just of Christmas paper. Seven out of ten people will buy a Christmas gift for their dog. Merry Christmas, Rover! You know? And do you know what the most popular gift this Christmas is? Anybody want to take a guess? The most popular Christmas gift. Look at the screen. It's a gift card. And you know what it says? I don't know. Get what you want to get. I don't have time for it, you know? Get it yourself. And that's kind of the age that we live in. Christmas is now the time to get what you want. So we're pushed to reducing the Christmas message to one that is either secular or sentimental or selfish. But what I want us to focus on today is what should the Christmas message be? You know, in our culture, the Christmas message, they try to make it smaller. But our great big God is saying, no, no, no. Our God is saying, I want the message to be bigger than anything that is secular or sentimental or selfish. But the Christmas message is sacred. Our God says it's a bigger message and it's more sacred. It is God coming down from earth, becoming flesh, and changing our lives. So the question really becomes for us is how do we increase the sacredness of Christmas. Now, I know that we're going to be surrounded by 5,000 ads every single day, kind of diluting the message. So how do we make the message bigger? Well, we need to live in the story. But it's very, very difficult, isn't it, to live in a story? You see, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. When you get familiar with something so much, eventually it's kind of like wallpaper. You see it, but you don't even think about it anymore. You just kind of go through your day. You just don't notice it. It ceases to kind of grab your heart or your mind or your soul. Instead, it's just kind of this well-worn path that you get on and you say, well, it's Christmas again and this is what I do and these are the things that happen. And ah, it's Christmas time. It's a difficult thing, and it's not a small task to really be able to say, 
I'm going to take the Christmas message. I'm going to dial in. I'm going to let my heart experience it. I'm going to say, God, I want to hear from you this Christmas. And more than the family events, more than the food, more than the gifts, God, I want to hear from you this Christmas. To really understand the full power and potency of Christmas, we really need to understand how did this event take place? What happened? And one of the things that you need to realize is what was going on in Mary and Joseph's world as they come to the stable and the baby Jesus is born? What is happening around in their culture? Well, first of all, you need to know that there was this big, huge government called the Roman government that was in control. Every nook, every cranny of the civilized world, the Roman government owned and everyone was a slave to them. They ruled with an iron fist. There was a corrupted government. And they believed that military power was the way that you could have eternal peace. But beyond the military... They also ruled with economic power and political power and ideological power. Now, ideological, what does that mean? It means every single idea, every single thought that's going on in people's world, the Roman government is saying, this is what you think. This is what you should be about. This is what you should be focused on. And they openly talked about their Caesar, their leader, not just as a president or a ruler, but as God. They would say, Caesar is our God. They would say that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Caesar is Lord, and he will bring peace. But it wasn't just the Romans. The Jewish people believed the exact same thing. They believed that this military force was going to come into their world and get them away from this slave and this hardship that they had experienced and that peace would prevail eternally. And so even as the Roman officers and the officials would come to everyone that was Jewish and oppress them and persecute them, the Jews were like, you just wait. Someone is coming. Someone is coming who will be a great military leader, and he's going to wipe you guys out. So you better enjoy what you have right now. Someone is coming who is going to bring the hammer down upon the Roman government. And we Jews will once again take control of all things. So go ahead, you filthy Romans, because someone is coming soon, and there is going to be a military movement, and there is going to be a power that overthrows Rome. Enjoy it while you can, because he's coming. And so Mary and Joseph, these two teenage kids, are in this experience. And there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of unrest in their world as they await the birth of their child. You see, folks, the story is not painted like the hymns. It wasn't silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. It wasn't away in a manger. It was extreme poverty, 
and pain and political unrest all around them. You know, throughout this uh, Christmas season, I, one of the things that I've taken notice of was a lot of the nativity scenes. And you know, when you see the nativity scene, what you're often mindful of is that it must have been a very peaceful and gentle and wonderful experience that Mary and Joseph went through. But I'm telling you folks, it was anything but peaceful. It was anything but gentle. It was a frightening, scary time. And Mary and Joseph were fearing for their lives. Did you know that during this time, if there was an unwed pregnancy, that the mom and the baby could be killed just for not being married? Mary and Joseph are literally fearing for their lives. They're hiding out, trying to bring into this world their baby. They weren't married. And they're just overwhelmed teenagers. And they're way above their heads. And can you imagine the conversations they must be having as they're walking towards Bethlehem? I mean, they're walking and they must have been thinking, Joseph, are we crazy? I mean, angels have been speaking to us. Sure, Mary, you're pregnant by God. Yeah, that's the way it works. And this is going to be the one, this baby, this little tiny thing, whenever it comes, that's the one that's going to overthrow the entire Roman government? (laughs) I don't think so. And this is all on the eve of when King Herod would go ahead and he would wipe out every firstborn son, two years old and younger. And folks, that's the reality that Mary and Joseph were experiencing at that time. I mean, just imagine them walking into Bethlehem and all of a sudden, you know, Mary's like having contractions. Now, this is not difficult for me to imagine. Not that I've ever had contractions before, okay? But uh, two and a half years ago, our youngest daughter, Shiloh, was born. And the night before Shiloh was born, my wife Jennifer and I were taking walks around our neighborhood. They said it would help with the birthing process. And Jennifer was having some intense contractions. And I'm thinking, I don't think that was good advice, you know? I really don't. And so the next morning we got up and we get into a car. We didn't have to walk. We didn't have to go on a donkey. But we get in a nice car and we get there and the baby's kicking inside of her and the time is coming close. But unlike Mary and Joseph, when we got to the place that we needed to get to, there was room in the end. In fact, there were people there waiting on us with wide open arms saying, Welcome, we're here to help you. And they were with us and they did a great job of of helping us every step along the way. We walked into a clean, sanitized, you know, state-of-the-art kind of hospital. And from the moment we arrived, there were medically trained professionals that were all around us, physicians and nurses, doing anything and everything from start to finish, helping us through this process. And honestly, folks, it was a wonderful time. It was great. 
I mean, there were just a few times that Jennifer freaked out, you know. But other than that, it was like this amazing, wonderful experience. And when my daughter was finally born, and the nurses grabbed her and they checked her heart and did all the different tests and they cleaned her up and they just kind of held her in my hands, I looked down at this gift and I just started to weep because of the joy of this baby. You see, folks, we live in a place in the United States in which it is a great place to have a baby. All of the things that you need are provided for you. But that wasn't the case for Mary and Joseph. As they were about to have their baby on that very first Christmas, and the contractions are coming, and the baby is kicking, and they walk into the birthing room, Joseph has to be thinking to himself, how did my life turn out like this? We're not even married. She's about ready to have a child. But we're not home. We don't have family. We don't have friends around us. And the baby's going to come now. And where are we going to go after the baby's born? The guy told me, I only have one night here. So they start looking around. And the place is finally there, but they know they only have this one night. And it's not clean. And there's no one there to help them. And Mary's on her own. And she doesn't know how all this works. Most accounts tell us that she was 13 or 14. She doesn't know how this works. She doesn't know when she's supposed to push or not push. She doesn't understand any of this. And she is frightened. She is scared. And what if someone found them? What if someone found them and found out that they weren't married? What would happen then? And then to top it all off, folks, they are surrounded by animals. And you know, a lot of times when we sing Away in the Manger, I think a lot of us think that the cows and the sheep kind of were there singing along with them, kind of dancing. Away in a manger, how can I help, you know? Is the baby cold? Come on, I'm a sheep, jump on my back, you know? And I think we kind of have this feeling that this is what's happening. But folks, they're surrounded by animals. And animals smell. And when you get in that environment, there's animal food. And then there's what comes out of them after they've eaten the food. And they're surrounded by all of that. And there's animal saliva and animal snot and animal stuff. And there's rodents, more than likely, around them. I mean, it's not the neat little story that you tell your kids, you know? It doesn't speak. That story that you tell your kids doesn't speak to what really happened. Joseph and Mary could be looking around and going, how did we end up like this? This is not how I imagined it to happen. This is not the plan that I had for us. Surrounded by animals, you don't have a place to stay the next day. There's no family. There's no friends. It's not clean. 
Is the baby even going to be okay? The mortality rate was like 80%. Is the baby even going to live? And in the middle of this circumstances, in the middle of this situation, that is anything but ideal, in the middle of all the calamity, all the chaos, all the unrest, God shows up. God shows up in the middle of the mess that is around us. You see, the essence, folks, of the Christmas message is that God shows up. The message of Christmas is big. The message of Christmas is sacred. The message of Christmas is that God shows up. You know, I was thinking that maybe some of you are heading into this Christmas week. And maybe you're kind of like Mary and Joseph and you're thinking, you know what, the circumstances that I'm going through right now is not what I imagined. It's not what I had planned. It's not what I had hoped for. This is not how I thought things would go. Maybe some of you this past year were in a relationship and you're heading into Christmas and you're thinking, man, this relationship just did not go the way I'd intended. This is not what I wanted, but it's here. Or maybe something happened with your job. Maybe you lost your job and you became unemployed. Or just financially right now, things are really, really tight. And you're wondering, how are we going to do anything for our kids, our friends, our family? And you're thinking to yourself, and these, these circumstances are just not ideal. This is not the Christmas that I wanted. Maybe you have a real health challenge right now that no one else knows, but you know what it is. Or maybe you've lost someone that you've loved. And this will be the first holiday, the first Christmas, the first time without them. And yet, folks, what I want you to do is to remember that it was at Christmas when the circumstances weren't right, when everything was not ideal, that it was in that moment that God showed up. When everything was going wrong, when there was mess all around them, it is in that moment in which God showed up. This week I read a really powerful story about God showing up for a family around Christmas time. There was a woman in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who went into the hospital to have the delivery and birth of her fourth child. And after she delivered the child, she immediately went into a coma for 16 years. And then on Christmas Day, 16 years later, she woke up. And there 
above her now is her 16-year-old child. And doctors were just astonished. Because it said that when she woke up, she was able to walk. She was able to dress herself. She was able to speak in complete sentences. And the doctors were just amazed. She was able to resume the life that she had 16 years ago. And the experts, none of them could explain at all what had happened. And her family called this their Christmas miracle. Now maybe in your life, your circumstances are okay. And you're balancing things pretty well. But you need God to wake you up. For others of you, you've taken the Christmas message and maybe you didn't do it on purpose, but you've kind of made it less than what it is. That you've made it sentimental or secular or selfish. And you need God to come and to wake you up. You know, you're here today, folks, not because of circumstance, not because they, you know, they twisted my arm for me to come. You are here today because there's something that makes you want to connect to the one who left heaven to come to earth, to follow him in some way. You're here because in some way you want Christmas to be sacred in your life. You want the real message of Christmas to kind of ring in your ears again, to ring in your hearts, to ring in your mind, to ring in your soul. And maybe, just maybe, you just need a moment where you could talk quietly to the God of the earth and say, God, Wake me up. I just don't want to go through the Christmas motions one more time. I want you to wake me up. You know, sometimes when Derek and the the band are, are leading us, many of the lyrics of the words come straight from Scripture. And uh, or their images of God, and when they're leading us, I'll think to myself, um, "Wow, God, I needed to be reminded of that. I just need to be reminded that you're faithful, that you're a grace-filled God, that you never forget me, that you are a good, good God." There's sometimes when I'm sitting right over there in that very front row most of the time by myself and they'll be singing and all of a sudden I'll just be overwhelmed by the goodness of God in my life. Well, I'm not a great singer so I'm not going to sing to you this morning, okay? Yeah. Hey, I wasn't expecting that. Have a little Christmas. Because if I sang, folks, you would not be reminded of the goodness of God, I can tell you. Okay, that would not be it. 
But I thought that the way that I could help close the celebration before the, the band kind of closes us in a song is that I wanted to take some scriptures that you can take home with you. And I'm going to read those here in just a second about who God is and why this moment of Christmas, folks, is the most important central moment of human history. Because this is when we're reminded, folks, that God actually came and He showed up. For 700 years, they had prophesied this. But on that day, He showed up and He showed up every single day since then. So if you would, I'd like you to stand just kind of quietly. And you can follow along if you want to the words, to the scriptures. Or maybe you want to close your eyes and you just want to drink in deeply right now these words that God gives to you. So, so listen to these words. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of of the only Son of the Father. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. God showed how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. In everything, we have won more than a victory because of Christ who loves us. I am sure that nothing can separate us from God's love. Not life or death, not angels or spirits, not the present or the future, and not powers above or powers below. Nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have everything we need to live a life that pleases God. It was all given to us by God's own power when we learned that He had invited us to share in His wonderful goodness. God made great and marvelous promises so that His nature would become a part of us. Folks, Jesus wants to show up in your life this Christmas. In fact, He wants to show up in your life right now. He doesn't want to just be something in your life. He wants to be everything in your life. And so maybe we just need to be reminded this morning that when the Savior of the world came, He really was everything that we need. 
And when we call upon His name, He will show up.
God, today uh, we want you to be everything in our life. And God, we don't want to go through the Christmas season without really knowing that you are a great big God. And you constantly show up in our life when we turn to you. And God, today we're so excited because six people will be baptized today who are saying, God, I just don't want you to be something in my life. I want you to be everything. So, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for showing up that very first Christmas and reminding us time and time again that you are our everything. God, help us to make this Christmas not to be small, to just be focused on the secular, the sentimental, or the selfish gift, but God, to allow it to be something big and sacred. Help us not to let you just be a secondary piece in this Christmas time, but to be our everything. God, we turn our hearts to you right now, and we ask that you can show up the celebration of that day that we're remembering you coming to earth. God, use in us so that your name would be made great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like prayer for anything, please come on up. And if you can join us for the baptism, that'd be great. Thanks.
Slow down. 